Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 it says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. In most cases, people look at verse 10 and they focus on the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. They focus on his suffering on the cross, the sufferings that he went through through his trials and on the cross. That is the sufferings that most people are thinking of. And I certainly do believe that. I do believe that through his sufferings, through his crucifixion, he certainly became recognized as perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice for humanity. He who committed no sin died for us so that we could be drawn near to God. He was a man who never sinned. He was our God manifested in the flesh who came to dwell among us, live among us as a man, and he died as a man. He died as a perfect individual, not for his own sins, but for our sins. And because he had never sinned, He was unblemished. He was an unblemished sacrifice, an offering that was given for us. And in that way, he certainly was perfected. No question about that whatsoever. I don't believe that that's what the writer was intending to say here. He could have been intending to say that, but I honestly believe that he was intending to say something else. Because in truth, the Lord Jesus was perfected already. There was no sin in him at all. When he spoke to the people of the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he talked to them about the laws that they should try to keep. And he added a few more on top of the ones that Moses had given. He said that your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees had focused their entire lives on trying to live in obedience to the laws of Moses. And Jesus said you needed to obey a few more. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he told the people, he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, the Lord Jesus was definitely perfect. He never sinned. He never violated anyone in a way that God would think that he had sinned. Certainly, a lot of people would think that he had sinned, but not according to his heavenly Father. And so it, of course, depends on your perspective and how you look at things. I mean, if you call somebody a bunch of snakes, for example, those people you called a bunch of snakes might think that you're committing sin against them. That certainly could be the case. But the Lord Jesus, as testified of by the living God, through his resurrection especially, the Lord Jesus had never sinned. He was definitely a perfect individual, a perfect person. And so he did not need to suffer in order to be made perfect. And that's what I mean by, I don't necessarily believe that the writer was intending to say that Jesus was not really perfect before, but he was perfect after because of his sufferings. I believe that Jesus was perfect before he suffered, that he did not need to be perfected through sufferings in the perfect sense, but that he was already perfect. 
Now, in the context of salvation, that he was the author of their salvation, he is the one who invented, wrote, described, invoked the salvation that we now enter into, and that he was made perfect through his sufferings. I understand that in the sense of a completion of the plan of salvation. I can see that as well. But you know, when I see these two words put together, perfect through sufferings, I really believe that the writer probably had something else in mind because there is another perfection that really has greater meaning than to just say that Jesus was the perfect offering. I really believe that there is another perfection that we should really look at that says an awful lot more about our God than just the fact that he was the perfect lamb. An awful lot more. Because when you consider the subject of sufferings, there is a great opportunity for our God that would never be given to him in any other way. Let me give you an example before I explain this with more detail. When you think about the definition of the love of God, there is a definition that's given in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There in that chapter, there's a verse that says that love is patient. In other words, your God is a very patient God. There's another description that says that love keeps no records of wrongs a very important definition of the love of God. But let me ask you something. Can you truly appreciate what it means for God to say that he is patient with you if you don't think he has a need to be patient with you? I mean, seriously, if there is no need to be patient with you, then there is no need for him to be patient. You would need to be committing some sin. You need some sin in your life so that he could have the situation presented to him where he would be confronted with the issue of patience. I mean, should he be patient with you or should he not be patient with you? You need some sin in order to make that real. You need some sin in order to say that you understand and you know the patience of God. When it comes to keeping records of your wrongs, the same thing. In order to keep records of your wrongs, he needs some wrongs to keep records of. And if he's not going to keep any records of your wrongs, well, that doesn't mean anything unless you have some wrongs that he could have kept records of, but instead he now doesn't keep any records of them. And so if he loves you, if he truly loves you, then you need some sin in your life. Now, I'm not saying that to get some more sin in your life. I'm sure you have plenty of it as it is. But if you truly want to understand and appreciate the love of God, if you want to know what it means for him to say, He is patient with you. If you want to know what it means for him to say he doesn't keep any records of your wrongs at all, he never has and he never will. If you want to know what that is, then you need some wrongs to keep records of. You need some sin in your life that would require him to be patient with you. Now, again, you don't need any more than you already have. You can use what you've got. Don't go out there and increase the sin in your life so that you can say that you can have an opportunity to know more about the love of God. You can just simply use what you have. You don't need any more. But with what you have, with the sin that you have in your life, you can see an opportunity to see the love of God and you can see how perfect your God is. That this is an opportunity to see the perfection of your God. You can understand what it means to say that he is perfect, especially in your life. Sin is an opportunity for that. The sufferings of life are opportunities for that. And I believe that the sufferings that the Lord Jesus experienced 
while he was here on earth were wonderful opportunities for people to see the living God. They were opportunities to see him truly in the flesh in that sense. They could see the living God as he was manifested before them and they could see how he lived. They could see how he responded to the circumstances of his life as he lived his daily life and they could see the testimony of the living God revealed to them so that they can grow to understand him in a personal and deep way. When he died on the cross, this was certainly an opportunity for him to suffer. And his response to the people who were crucifying him and his response to the people who he was wanting to save was a reflection, it was a revealing of the love of God. That was a perfection that was manifested within and through his sufferings. That was a wonderful opportunity for us to truly see a manifestation of the true and living God as he was here before our very eyes. It was through these sufferings that he experienced that the perfection of God was revealed. And this happens with you. This happens in your life. It does, because in your life, you have already been confronted with many situations in your life where you have experienced a great deal of suffering. And in the future, you will experience many more opportunities that will be sufferings in your life. You will suffer. You are guaranteed to experience tribulation in your life. You certainly have had some tribulation in your life before, And you have lots more to look forward to, to really look forward to. Because when these sufferings occur, when you experience pain and loss and sin, they are wonderful opportunities for the Lord to reveal himself within and through you. It's in the circumstances of life, it's in the sufferings of life, that you really do have an opportunity to turn to the Lord. You get reminded of who you should be depending on. You get reminded of who you should be trusting in and who you should be relying on. And you get reminded of the things that are truly important. And those things have really nothing to do with this world, have nothing to do with the things of this world that you may be able to earn or acquire, has nothing to do with any of that at all. And when you experience some loss and pain and suffering in your life, You experience wonderful opportunities to depend on the Lord, to trust in Him, to really live in the abundance of what He has already given to you and to be thankful for that. And when you do, when you choose to do this, when you make the choice to trust and depend on your God, then He will reveal Himself within and through you. And that is perfection. That is absolute perfection. You see, when people saw the Lord Jesus, they did not just see how perfect the Lord Jesus was. And when they see you, and they see how you respond to the sufferings in your life, they're not going to say how perfect you are. They're going to see a small glimpse of the invisible God manifested in a visible way so that they can see Him. They can see his perfection. They can see his love. They can see his patience. The fact that he has no pride, that he has no envy, 
that he is not selfish, that he keeps no records of anybody's wrongs. That is the perfection of God that will be revealed within and through you in the midst of sufferings. I sincerely believe that that is what the writer is at least hinting at. He may certainly have intended to say that the perfection of Christ Jesus was revealed as he was the perfect offering for sin. I can accept that it's possible. I'm not going to try to argue that. It's just that I personally see something a little bit more involved when he uses this word sufferings because the Lord Jesus did not need to suffer as he did in order to show that he was the perfect Lamb of God. I believe that his reaction, his response to the sufferings that he experienced were opportunities for people to see the true love of God. And just as it was expressed within and through him, it was expressed within and through the Lord Jesus, so also he will express this within and through you. You know, when the Lord created us to begin with in the Garden of Eden, he spoke about our creation by saying that he would make us in his image, that we would be made in the very image of God. And, you know, the word that he chose to use there was a word that meant the reflection of God. That's what that word means. If you were to do a search on that word to find out what the true meaning of that word is that was used in the scriptures when he spoke about creating us in his image, he didn't say that he created us in a way that we would be a reflection of our God in the sense of having two arms or two legs or two eyes and one mouth, something like that. That's not the kind of image that he's talking about. Or to say that we have some value of some kind because we were created in his image whereas the animals were not. That's not what that word means. That word is used to describe the reflection off of a mirror or the reflection off of a body of water. It doesn't mean that when you look in a mirror, that the mirror is an image of you, that the mirror itself is a reflection of you, that if somebody wants to know something about you, they should go study the mirror. It doesn't matter if you're in front of the mirror or not. It's just the mirror. That's not what it means. Or a body of water to say that some puddle on the ground is actually a reflection of you. That's not the reflection that he was talking about. There is nothing inherent in the body of water, just like there's nothing inherent in you. But you were created so that he could reflect himself within and through you, so that when people would see you, they would see God, not you, and say how impressed they are with you. It is about revealing our God to live as a testimony and a reality to provide him with an opportunity to show himself. That's what that was about. But when we died spiritually, we no longer had his presence within us. And I sincerely believe that we were created in such a way that we require his presence within us so that he can reveal himself within and through us, so that the invisible God would be manifested in a visible way within and through his creation. But when Adam and Eve died... They no longer had the presence of God within them. Just like if you don't stand before a mirror, the mirror is not going to present a reflection of you. Or you stand over a body of water, the body of water is not going to present a reflection of you. So likewise, in the same way, without your God indwelling within you, you cannot be in the image of God. You cannot be a reflection of your God. There's no way that that is going to happen. And so since the Garden of Eden, since the fall in the Garden of Eden, mankind has not been in the image of God. We have not been born in the image of God. No one born 
after Adam and Eve has ever been in the image of God because they were born as a person. Instead, everyone has been born into this world as an image of what it's like not to have God. That's what we are. That's who we are before we come to Christ Jesus for salvation. It's only after we have been saved that we have an opportunity to receive Him within and through us. And if we will abide in Him, if we will trust in Him, if we will rely on Him, and what I mean by that is that if we will believe in Him and we will believe in what He has done for us, and if we will trust in what He has done for us, and if we will take what He has given, then we are abiding in Christ Jesus. It is then that we are a branch abiding in the vine, receiving what He has for us. It is only then that we will be able to reflect Him, to live as an image of God, as we give to others out of the abundance of what He has given to us. It is only then that people will see us and they will see our God. And the greatest opportunities for this to happen is in the midst of sufferings. If you understand that you have been forgiven for your sins, if you understand that, then that's a good start. To be forgiven of your sins provides so many open doors for you. And if you will believe that, you will walk in and through those doors that have been opened up to you. And one of the most important doors that I believe that we should all walk in and through is truly the door of forgiveness, especially as it relates to our own personal lives. You know, sin is really evil. I mean, sin is serious. Sin is so bad, it is so wicked, that there is nothing that you can do in order to compensate anyone for the sins that you commit. Absolutely nothing. They really are that serious. I mean, if they weren't so bad, then God didn't have to come and die for your sins, would he? You could just simply perform restitution, or you could apologize and just ask for forgiveness, something like that. But no, sin is so evil that it requires the death of God in order to take it away, in order to deal with it. The Lord himself recognized that it was so wicked, it was so evil, that he just simply had to forgive it, which meant that he had to let it go. You know, the word for forgiveness in the New Testament has to do with the subject of propitiation, not atonement. In the Old Covenant, forgiveness had to do with atonement, or it was associated with the idea of atonement, that the Lord would cover over a person's sins. That's what the word atonement actually means. It means to cover over sins. But in the New Testament, he has provided us with something else, and that's called propitiation. Propitiation is about the complete taking away of sins. That's what propitiation is. Sin is so wicked, it is so evil, that there is nothing that you can ever do about your sin. There's nothing you can do to stop it, and there's nothing that you can do to compensate someone for the sin that you commit. And so the Lord, recognizing this, he said very clearly that he took it away, that he provided propitiation, which meant that he no longer required you to compensate him or anyone else for that matter for the sins that you committed. That's what he had to do. But how could this be real in your own life? Seriously. Of what value is this to you beyond the fact that this provides you with a new opportunity to begin to understand his love for you? 
Well, you know, we've all experienced a great deal of suffering and pain in our lives. We all know what that is. I know what it is to be hurt. I know what it is to be betrayed. I know what it is to suffer for someone else's sins, either directly or indirectly for that matter. I know what it is to pay for my own sins and to pay for others. I know what that is. I know what it is to experience pain and suffering at the hands or at the beliefs or at the mouths, at the words of other people. I know what that's about. And I understand that the sins were so incredibly horrific that there is nothing that that person or those persons can do to compensate me for the loss and for the pain and for the sufferings that I experienced. There is nothing that they can do in order to take any of that away. There is nothing that they can do to fix it or to make it right or to make it in such a way that it never happened. There is no way for that to ever occur. And you know, I can live my entire life believing that they owe me. And you know what? Maybe they do. Maybe they do. But they're never going to be able to pay what they owe adequate enough in order to compensate me. Not even if they died would it even make a difference. Not even if they died. You know what that's like. You know what that's like in your own life. The sins that people have committed against you are so severe, they are so evil, that there is nothing that they can possibly do to compensate you for the sins that they committed. There's nothing that they can do in order to take those sins away. And I understand that many people don't want those sins to be taken away. Many people want to have people in their lives who have hurt them. I understand that. There are a lot of people who enjoy being victims. They feel as though they can then have a sense of personal value because someone has hurt them. I know people like that. I can think of people right now who I know very well who really do live that way. I don't think they see it. I really don't think that they see it. But I know a lot of people who do see it in their lives, not just myself. People really do like to be victims. They like that. They love that because it gives them a sense of purpose. It gives them a sense of value. And it gives them a reason to live. It does because they will live to find other people who will feel sorry for them. They will live to find other people who will maybe feel bad for them so that now they can feel a sense of acceptance. They can now feel a sense of value because others are willing to spend their time to feel sorry for them and coddle them in some way. That's how people live. Or they want to be angry. They actually do want to be angry. I mean, think about that. Do you know of anybody who just never smiles? Or they constantly live in anger and frustration? They just always have this attitude and they feel that this is a wonderful thing, I suppose? They need somebody to hurt them so that they can feel justified in being angry, so that they can feel as though they have a cause, or so that they can feel as though they have some power of some kind. They may feel empowered because now they are important and you are not, or whoever hurt them is not. And it gives them a sense of position of some kind, that they're one up on somebody else because they have somebody that they can compare themselves with. People live for that. They really do. Not everybody, but a lot of people really do live for that. But you know what? The sins that people have committed against you are so bad. They are so wicked. They are so evil that no one is ever going to compensate you for that. And so if you ever want to experience freedom, if there ever comes a point in your life when you want to be free from the pain and suffering, where you are willing to give up being a victim, 
and you are willing to give up the value that you think you have because you're the victim. If you're ever willing to come to the point of recognizing that this is holding you in bondage and that you need to overcome this, then it's really simple. You just simply need to acknowledge that there is nothing that anybody can do in order to fix it. There is nothing that anybody can do to compensate you. And it's not to say that the sin was not such a big deal. I'm saying that it was such a big deal. I'm saying that it was so evil. It was so horrible. It was so bad that all you can do is let it go. There is nothing more that can be done. And if you don't let it go, then to be honest with you, you're the only one who's going to really suffer for it. So when these sufferings come into your life, instead of looking at these sufferings as such a horrible experience, you can look at these sufferings as an opportunity. Embrace the sufferings. Embrace the pain as an opportunity to forgive others as you have been forgiven. As an opportunity to love others as you have been loved. And in the midst of this response that you give, that you choose to give, in the midst of this response that you have to the sufferings in your life, the living God will show himself. He will. He will show you who he is. And others may have an opportunity to see who he is. But definitely for you, you will begin to know the peace of God as you forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven you. You will experience peace and rest in your own soul, in your own heart, in your own spirit. And in that, you will have an opportunity to see your God in a way that you could have never seen before. Perfection will be revealed through sufferings. His perfection was not just revealed through the Lord Jesus in his sufferings, but his perfection is continually revealed today through his people, through his body that is living today in the world of pain and suffering. He still uses us to reveal himself so that once again we can function as an image of the living God and the invisible God can be manifested in a visible way so that we will testify of the truth of who he is and of his active participation in all of our lives. I pray that he will be real in your life in this way. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.